Värvet görs i samarbete med Acast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Värvet presenteras i samarbete med Nasonex, utomhusmöjliggöraren som de inte kallar sig av någon märklig anledning. Men det är i alla fall Sveriges mest köpta antiinflammatoriska nässpray mot allergisk snuva. Och nu kommer ett litet test, så fram med papper och penna du som lyssnar, nu kör vi. Fråga 1. Vill du vara ute mer i naturen? Fråga 2. Sitter du framför en skärm lite för mycket? Fråga 3. Är du allergisk? Om du har svarat ja på någon av frågorna så tycker jag att du ska bege dig till beanoutsider.se. Jag vill för övrigt poängtera att Nasonex nässpray är ett receptfritt läkemedel från 18 år för behandling av symptom vid säsongsbunden och perenna allergisk snuva. Rådfråga läkare om du är eller tror dig vara gravid eller ammar eller om du planerar att skaffa barn. Har en obehandlad infektion i näsan nyligen har genomgått en näsoperation eller har en skada i näsan. Får ingen effekt inom 14 dagar eller om du redan använder läkemedel med Kortison ska du kontakta läkare. Använd ej mer än tre månader utan läkarkontakt. Stort tack Nasonex och beanoutsider.se Värvet sponsras av SAS Eurobonus och SAS Eurobonus Mastercard. Och det här är ett budskap som jag tänker kan vara bra för den som antingen gillar guldkant på till exempel tillvaron eller för den som gillar att slå två flugor i en smäll. Om jag tittar på vad jag gör av mig under en dag så är det typ 85% mat. Kanske tar jag en kaffe ute och relativt ofta undrar jag mig en lunch men framförallt så handlar jag middagskäk och det blir nästan alltid ungefär 327 kronor. Och jag är förvisso med i alla mataffärers kundklubbar så jag får väl något slags luddig poäng på mina köp men får jag poäng på allt överallt? Jag får ju inte det och det är dumt för visst. Eurobonus kan användas till resor, launcher och uppgraderingar men otroligt mycket mer som att bo på något av de 250 000 anslutna hotellen som finns att välja mellan. Perfekt om man vill ha en staycation med sin partner eller så. Och just nu mellan 23 april och 5 maj får du 5 000 Eurobonus extra poäng om du ansöker om ett SAS Eurobonus Mastercard kreditkort. Kreditkortet som ges ut av SCB Kort Bank AB där effektiv ränta är 19,27% vilket exempelvis blir 47 108 kronor om du använder 40 000 i kredit i ett år. Men det är förstås inget tvång att utnyttja krediten. Få poäng på allt överallt och du börjar på sasurobonusmastercard.se sasurobonusmastercard.se Tack sasurobonus och sasurobonusmastercard. It really is about that weird, fearless searching. Sorry, but. Sorry, but.
Hej, det är Kristoffer Triumph och det här är ett extra avsnitt av Värvet och din själva intervjun görs på engelska och därför så bryter den formen så mycket att jag inte kallar det för ett regelrätt avsnitt utan det här är en homage till er som följer mig på Twitter. Jag hoppas ni blir fler. Snabla Triumph heter kontot. Så här då. Jag vet att många av er ogillar långa intron. Men idag måste jag få göra ett litet undantag för den här podcasten hade inte funnits tror jag utan Mark Maron. Jag hade nog inte förstått att jag kunde göra det här. Jag är honom skyldig sig himla mycket rent inspirationsmässigt. Och han var så fruktansvärt trevlig att träffa. Jag mejlade honom i september. Jag fick kontakt. Han sa, ja visst kan du få intervjua mig. Du får ta med dig fem doser snus. Jag tog med mig fem doser snus. Åkte dit. 4 januari tror jag det var i år. Det var en strålande soldag i Kalifornien. Jag åkte upp till hans lilla villa i Eagle Rock. En liten förort. Vi kan kalla det LA's svar på Vällingby. Fast de har mycket bättre mexikanska restauranger än vi har här. Hur som helst. Nej, Mark Maron, han är ju stoppkomiker. Han har hållit på i hundra år. Ni kan kolla upp honom på Youtube. Men det han gjorde 1999 var att han startade WTF with Mark Maron. Som alltså är värvets kanske främsta förebild. Några saker om intervjun då Det är så jävla plågsamt att höra sig själv prata engelska Det är ju plågsamt att höra sig själv på band Men det här är ju något alldeles i hästväg Vad ska jag säga? Jag har inte bott tillräckligt mycket utomlands En annan sak är då att När jag träffade Mark Maron så trodde jag att Värvet skulle handla om avund att det skulle vara liksom poddens stick. Det blev det ju inte, som ni kanske vet. Jag tycker att det är ett väldigt spännande ämne och jag inser när jag lyssnar på intervjun med Mark att jag borde ta in det mer och prata mer om avund och hur det driver mina gäster. Men jag är också glad över att jag släppte den tanken. Ni kommer att märka att det är någon fråga där man tycker att vad fan Kristoffer släppte det där jävla avundspåret. Och så gör jag det. Så det är ju skönt. Ja, jag kan också säga... Jag pratar lite mer efter istället. Nu kör vi bara. Varsågoda, Kristoffer Triumph träffar Mark Maron i Eagle Rock- Kalifornien, USA, 4 januari 2012. Has the interview started? Are we rolling? Yeah, you're uh, you're good to go. Okay. Well, uh, my idea is to to meet people that I envy. Yeah. I think that I sort of got the idea for the podcast to to circle around envy when I realized that I think that uh, envy takes a lot of your time. Or uh, am I wrong? Yeah, I, uh, I I certainly understand envy, and um, and I think that that I don't think it's unusual in in all people to uh, to. I mean, I guess there are some uh, special people that don't have jealousy, but but yeah, I have been consumed with jealousy before. Yes, 
I, I try not to, you know, put it at the forefront of my brain, but, uh, you know, a lot of my motivation was spite at some other point in my life and it still exists. Certainly. Yeah. If I'm going to go deep. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think that oftentimes when when your envy shines through in the interview, I think it's kind of the best moments. I think that might be true, uh, it, depending on who I'm talking to. Uh, you know, obviously you're going to... I, I, I think that if you admit that you're envious of somebody else on some level, uh, depending what position they're in, uh, it, it's going to be flattering. And I never really thought about that until you just mentioned it. But I think that... Um, If I sat here and said, you know, like, I got to be honest with you, I'm jealous of you. It's, I've been consumed with it, you know, almost on an obsessive level that on, if they're not frightened immediately, uh, that there'd be no other way from where I'm sitting but to take that as somewhat of a perverse compliment. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I envy you, of course. Yeah. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. You were driven to that. Yeah, I was. You came all the way to the States. To exactly. uh, to confront to to address your envy of me, well, yeah, okay. Well, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. You sort of touched it, but uh, do you use your envy? Mm. Yeah, I mean, e either I use it or it uses me. Uh, I don't know that. Um, as I get older, I don't know that any good can really come from it. Uh, I, I think that because envy, and I, and I think one of the reasons that that it's a sin uh, on some level. Uh, there's only seven of them, uh, the, of the deadly sins. And I'm not a religious man, but that's a pretty short menu. So there had to be a reason, uh, why those were on there. And in terms of, of what sin really means, uh, in relation to the culture, obviously there's something about envy that was so heinous and so malignant and, and so destructive that it made that list. Mm. So if I'm going to be consumed with it, Uh, because what comes out of it? What comes out of it? Uh, you know, gossip, slander, you know, self abuse, p potentially you know, murderous obsession, uh, a, a bit of bitterness. Sure, it's uh, you know, I, I mean, that's just amplified self pity, of course. So, I mean, I think that that it's something to be wrangled and something to be dealt with, uh, not not necessarily something to be embraced, because I, I think it leaves you isolated mm. depend if you're consumed with envy uh because you have all this you're judging yourself against everything else you everybody else or everything else or you think somebody has taken something from you or is uh, uh mostly how it reveals itself to me is that uh if someone's successful i can't i take it personally um which is peculiar yeah. to my own choice but it's my experience it's not illegitimate but nothing good can come of it i mean nothing e e outside of these conversations And I think that in the way that it was good for me was that when I was younger and when I was um, starting out and seeing other people get opportunities, I really pushed to get those opportunities because my feeling was, well, if, well, if that guy's doing it, why the, why the hell am I not doing it? How can, how can we make this happen? So whether or not I was ready for whatever that opportunity was, if I had the, the wherewithal or the means to get that opportunity out of out of spite and, and, and that envy, I got it. But also in retrospect, a lot of those, uh, I, I think I might've squandered a lot of those opportunities just because I had, I had good management and I was known for being angry. Mm. And I always thought that I was, you know, uh, entitled to, uh, whatever anyone else had without really thinking about what I was doing. 
that I might have, it might not have been ready for that stuff, you know. Maybe we should talk about the background of you making this uh, podcast, but was Envy part of the decision to go ahead and do it? I don't know that. I, I think that the beginning of the podcast and certainly the end of that part of my life, that divorce coming to a bitter close and whatnot, for most practical purposes was was very humbling. So I don't know that envy drove that. No. I, I think desperation, uh, because really I you know I was kind of washed up. Uh, I was certainly emotionally a mess. I really had no idea what I was going to do with my life, and there was certainly no guarantees of anything with a podcast. So in my mind, it was it was sort of like, well, I'm at the lowest point here, so let's try this. And and if anything, you know, it wasn't so much envy then. But, you know, I knew a couple other comics that had done it, and uh, I reached out to those people. And not even just comics like Jesse Thorne, Jimmy Pardo, Jimmy Dore. So that was really the first step of me moving out of that and actually, you know, asking for help. And, and you know, uh, it, I was definitely not in an envious situation. Now that the podcast is popular, Envy's back, because uh, now I got to look at who, who are these other guys that are popular. Okay. I'm very happy to be part of this medium and I'm happy that that and grateful that it's become successful but you know there there are other guys doing it and and uh, yeah I, I check iTunes to see who's where and what's going on and you know you don't want to be competitive and there's no reason to be competitive but you can't help yourself right sometimes you know but you just got to realize I'm second I'm number 2 on the comedy after after Hardwick after the nerdist okay I saw him yesterday uh, yeah where did you see him Comedy Bang Bang uh, at UCB Theater. Oh, yeah. Was he funny? He was trying new material. Oh, yeah? And he announced that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, So, to be honest, he was so-so. Yeah. The best guy Mm -hmm. was uh, Holmes, maybe. Oh, Pete Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. Yeah, he's really come into himself. Well, yeah, those are two guys that I, you know, I have issues with. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, not issues. I mean, look, you, you know, Chris Hardwick is—he's very positive thinking. He's very charming. You know, he's a very good, effective host. He's a, a good comic. I've talked to him on the show. I've told him how I feel. Pete Holmes, uh, you know, I've talked to him too. I mean, he's always been very annoying to me. But I've had to admit that—not that it matters what the hell I think—but you know, he's become very funny, and it's very exciting to see you know somebody move from annoying to funny or from boring to funny or from not finding their groove to finding their groove but he's certainly he's he's definitely found his groove and that's it's good to see he's, yeah. yeah yeah he's gotten very funny Patton Oswalt uh, was there as well also trying uh, new material about his kids yeah he touched uh, that about Viagra and that yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah I saw that the other I've seen that twice now yeah him trying to work that bit out yeah yeah, no, I, I like Patton. Yeah, but yeah, the three of them are are people that um, can tend to bother me. But I, like I say, if I get past the envy, there's something else there. Yeah, you know, like recently, like you know, I, I you know I like these guys, and and like I said, envy it, it reveals your insecurity more than anything else. I, it doesn't, you know, if you're going to be actively envious, which I have been, and and treat people as if they're some sort of threat to you when they're just living their fucking life, mm. then you're just that guy. You're the guy that like, well, I don't know if I need to talk to him because he's got a bad attitude. He seems to not like me. And if you're just sitting there going, yeah, it's not that I don't like you. It's just that, you know, I've decided that you and I are competing somehow. 
And uh, that may or may not be true. It usually isn't really. Generally, people who are more successful than you, unless they have some sort of personal vendetta, are not achieving that success specifically to teach you a lesson. No. Almost no one. Yes, that's true. No, yeah. it happens in politics. Okay. Uh, it, de- well, it definitely happens, but, but probably not. Yeah. Probably not. How long have you been sober? 12 years. Have you got any idea how that affected your uh, envy? Did it? If you are involved in recovery, you know, you're supposed to deal with that. Do you go to meetings? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I, you know, I've tapered off and I, you know, I should probably be a little more active just mentally. Yeah. For my, for my disposition, for my, uh, you know, to stay in the right mindset. But, you know, certainly resentment, which is envy, is incredibly dangerous to, uh, to people that are prone to self-medicating. You know, resentments are almost viral with inside you. you. You know, if you lock into something and you have that right disposition, it's a very f- short jump from, you know, I'm jealous of that guy to, you know, I'm worthless. Because, I mean, in every equation of, of envy, aren't you negating yourself somehow? That somehow that comes from feeling incomplete or that you are failing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's it's really, you're just using someone as this shitty mirror <laughs> of you. Like I'm looking into whoever it is and I'm seeing that I'm, that I'm losing, that I, you know, that I I screwed up. I mean, Jesus, I mean, my, you know, my, my ex-wife ended up with some guy, you know, like in my mind, you know, much more successful than me and this and that, you know, and in in my mind, you know, somehow or another, you know, I'm competing with him or I was, but was I ever really, or am I just a, a jilted fucking husband? You know, I mean, he won. I mean, there was no competition. I was not part of the active competition somehow. It was all done behind my back. But uh, that kind of shit is brutal. Being abandoned for somebody else or being left out and all that shit. I mean, it's it's just horrible because it reaffirms all those things you assume about yourself. It's very hard to spin that in a positive way. Because yeah. even, even if you do, you're sort of like, fuck all of you. I'm the only one that knows. I mean, are you? Yeah. <laughs> then how come none of these people want to talk to you? Sobriety, I think, helped me put that into perspective, Mm. how dangerous it is, you know, for me emotionally. I think that you and I uh, have a little bit of uh, the same history with cocaine, uh, mostly. In my case, also quite a lot of amphetamine and booze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can drink more with that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that maybe, from my perspective anyway, that envy has sort of bloomed After, After sobriety, because you don't uh, suppress it with uh, with alcohol. Well, also, and, like you know, if you're if you're all jacked up on blow or or speed, I mean, out of any drug in the world, those make you feel sort of omnipotent, exactly, incredibly confident. Yeah, you know, alcohol can go either way. Mm. You know, if you're just drinking, I mean, you could easily fall into a shithole of resentment. But you know, if you're countering that with uh, amphetamines, you know, I mean, you're in your mind, you're you're king of the world, you're you're winning. Yeah, it 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 really is about that that weird, fearless searching because you know, usually uh, for me at the at the core of any envy, you know, if if I don't use somebody else to compare myself against, or if I don't see myself as a you know the 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 guy who's losing or 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 is uh, excluded from the big game or whatever it is, you know, however I'm playing the victim, you know, I find that what's underneath that for myself is a certain amount of sadness, a certain amount of uh, fear 
of of just letting myself be okay with who I am, um, and also just letting myself actually enjoy other people's work. Mm. I mean, that's the worst part about envy, is that you no longer look at anything as as something that has really nothing to do with you. If you look at everything as a threat, then how can you appreciate anything? You know, you're just constantly defending yourself against you know these things you're making up, and it's contaminating your attitude and how you look at the world. So you, you've really cut yourself off from being able to enjoy it. I mean, like, you know, Pete Holmes is a good example. That guy annoyed the hell out of me. You know, he's younger than me. You know, he's doing a podcast that's a lot like mine. And that happened recently. Uh, and when I talk to him socially, you know, he's just so self-centered and so weirdly, you know, kind of constantly, you know, self involved in in his conversation and, and it just found i found that so annoying yeah but i'm exactly like that so that's you know 90 percent of the time you know what you're envying but are you really uh, the, the brilliance of this podcast uh this meaning yours is yeah. that you actually do listen and you're genuinely interested Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Uh, but l- l- like I said, you know, I think that I was worse when I was, you know, before I got sober. And, and as 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 you sort of take some hits in life that you can't reconcile, like shit happened. At some point, you have to let yourself just be humiliated by life mm. and and not fight it, uh, or you're going to look even worse. So I think that when that started to happen, you know, I started to return back. Once I started, I stopped being so defensive and stopped thinking that, you know, everything was about me. But I do, I don't, I'm not narcissistic, but there are some issues. There's part of me that there's a lot of things that I have, I have issues. So a lot of times when I talk to people, I'm listening to see where the commonality is and I'm listening, you know, to feel like how I'm connected to them and to feel how, you know, being in in conversation with them makes me feel like a like a whole person. You, you know, so so in that sense it's still about me, but I'm I'm enjoying the interaction. Mm. You know, and and then there are people that live completely different lives than me and and then I, I if I'm interested in them then it's separate. But like in, in the case of someone like Pete, You know, I, I see a very common thing. Like, you know, he's a conversational guy and he's a funny guy. He's a very sensitive guy. And he's got a certain amount of, of courage up there to talk about things. And he's got an interesting way of looking at the world. But I couldn't get past how much he annoyed me. And then, you know, the fact that people were laughing at him, I was like, I, I don't understand it. He's still just annoying me. But then something happened. I'm like, you know, he's really figured out a way to do what the hell he's doing. And he's unique because he's a guy that can't help but be himself. And it's a struggle for him. And to me, that's a that's the best kind of person. Mm. You can't try to be somebody else. You, you can, but it'll fail. And once you've 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 failed at all those attempts at at creating something, a self for your you know, or or being acting like somebody else, you're left with your own. You're left pretty raw. And I, I see him to be that way. And I think that you know I, I'm that way as well. But I appreciate it more. It bothers me to uh, to to enjoy certain things. Yeah, but you're uh, you're a little bit older than he is. Uh, I know. I got to yeah. start acting my age. Yeah, but you're wiser also. Yeah, I hope so. I have my moments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I slip back into uh, letting myself be bothered. I'll leave the envy soon, but I'm just curious. Like, what drives your envy the most? Is it like? Is it just 
success in general or is it like money or it's that weird thing that you know the saddest thing about it especially people with a, an addictive disposition is that you know i i feel great about what's happening with me and and i've never felt i think over the last couple of years i've really sort of come into my own and i feel a little better about myself and i feel like you know i've achieved something which i never felt before i mean even if i did an hbo special or whatever it had no impact. It had no relevance. You know, it was just another guy doing another half hour, another 10 minutes of comedy. Even when I wrote my book, like nothing ever quite clicked because, you know, you start, you're looking, you, you want to be acknowledged for what you do. Mm. And that feeds something, whether it feeds your ego or, or with me, you know, it's sort of like just finding my groove. Like, where's my voice? You know, when am I going to be present in this world, in this community that I've, I've dedicated my life to? That started to happen. But I think what the problem is, is that you, there's always that next level, isn't there? I mean, what, that whole idea that, like, uh, it's never enough mm. when people say that. You know, are, are you happy? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. It's, but, you know, that feeling like, you know, it, there's got to be more. It's a, it's a tragedy uh, that that's real. And I think it's something that, that you have to fix in your own head. And it has something to do with appreciating and appreciating what you have accomplished and working from the inside. I'm not always great at that. So, you know, envy, it's usually that like, you know, they're at some other level or they're doing better than me or they're getting, you know, a different kind of attention than me or they have, you know, more, it's easier for them. But as I talk to people, you, you realize that's really not true. It's really not that easy for anybody. And the people that it's easy for, people have somehow managed to experience a little happiness for whatever the hell their success they have. Mm. It's all relative to that when it comes right down to it. But we live in this ultra-connected, ultra-technological society where you can sort of judge yourself by the feedback you get immediately in any format. But I think that there's a desire when you're an artist uh, or a performer or someone who works in media to, to, to be acknowledged in a big way, Right. I don't know if you would call it being a star, but you want to be relevant. You want to be acknowledged. So how much acknowledgement is enough? What do you need? Mm. I don't know. Some people have pretty big egos. Yeah. But like I said, I, you know, the struggle for me is to try to have that gratitude and try to enjoy what I'm doing. Mm. But I get very overwhelmed with that too. I tell you, man, you know, the anxiety you feel when you have nothing going on is a little more consistent and easier to handle than the anxiety you have when you have a lot going on. Because there seems to be more at stake. And when you have things going on, they never stop. So that's mixed with a dread of like, oh, I got to do that. And then I got to do this. Whereas when you're just anxious like about like, how come nothing's happening? That stays pretty steady. Yeah, but on the other hand, when you have nothing to do, it's very much easier to like kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. Because you have an appointment next week for an interview or, yeah. or whatever. So yeah. you can't kill yourself until that. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. That's the only thing that keeps hope alive. Yeah. I mean, we really shouldn't be depending that much on external things to determine our well-being. But I don't know. You do, don't you? Well, I guess. Uh, but you are very much, I guess, a self-made man. Yeah. It was a... It's Believe me, it's, it's all very coincidental. When I've not been overly modest about that i had no expectations out of this undertaking of the podcast you know i was a good comic i am a good comic there were people that appreciated me but i i did not have 
uh, an ability to make a living doing that in a big way because I just, no matter how good I was, I wasn't selling tickets. Yeah, I, I, I'd almost given up on that. So, I mean, the podcast was created out of out of desperation and, and out of really... What were you doing besides the uh, the comedy at the time when you started? Well, I did some this? radio, and at that time I'd gone back to uh, the um, left-wing uh, network that I was involved with on radio who had fired me a couple times, and they'd gotten a new uh, some new executives there, and we pitched this video uh, or an online sort of uh, TV show, and uh, we did I did that for a year, but that was very reluctantly. And it never really picked up any momentum, and I and it wasn't really my heart was not as in it uh, in the politics as a as it needed to be in my mind. But I didn't give myself a lot of credit either. That's the other thing. I don't. Um, I, I never think I'm doing uh, good enough. You know, I always I'm always worried that it's not good enough. That has something. That's another element of it of uh, where envy comes from and everything else is that sort of a, a fundamental insecurity. I've had to do is just you know try to to ignore it and not act out of that. You know, even when like if I do an interview with somebody, if I didn't get what I needed out of it emotionally, or I didn't think it went well, uh, you know, I just got to shut up. You know, I, I in, and keep it to myself because you know other people are going to have their own experience. It's not just me involved in this thing. Mm. Even with my comedy, if I you know if I think this joke is just okay, or I didn't think that show was that good, I shouldn't whine about it and take that experience away from whoever was there you, you know if you do a show and you know you end it with like yeah i guess it was okay which i've done you know i thought i was okay you know sorry whatever it is why do that to an audience look if you sucked you sucked mm-hmm. if it didn't go well it didn't go well you're just gonna have to take the hit you can know what you know but you know a lot of times people walk away from those experiences and they're like that was great and i'm like and then you start with the really was it i mean really i mean i, I was there i did it It wasn't that good for me, but you don't want to do that. Why would you do that to somebody? But I have those feelings. So why wouldn't I be envious if I'm always assuming that I'm never doing as well as I should in any way? So maybe that's really it. Is that insecurity? I don't, you know, I guess, you know, that's, what are you going to do about that? You know, you can only just keep plowing through it and not act, try not to honor it. Mm. What are you going to do? It's been an amazing thing to try to not do that, you know, and, and I work with a guy who who's my producer and, you know, and, and, you know, he's helped me with that a bit, but not in any sort of psychological way. Just in, you know, just, I've just learned that, like, you know, we put this out, we do this thing. And um, if I'm not okay with it, just put it out there and I don't listen to it. But do you listen to the good ones? I'll, I'll listen to them if... Like if he told me he had a good time, you know, putting a show together with what I've given him, I listen to him. But usually I don't listen to him. Okay. I, my memories of my conversations are really just that. Memories of conversations. It'd be kind of weird if I just drove around listening to me. You'd probably learn some something, but I get the feeling that you don't want to, that you sort of want to leave it behind. No, I don't know if I want to leave it behind. I just don't want to feel like, you know, oh, shit, I should have said that. Or, oh, okay. Um, how come I say you know so much? Or why do I always say like? You know, like I'll get hung up on, on te- you know, on on uh, on um, technique things. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe I should have waited a little. Like, you, you, uh, more so than not, I'm worried about that. But a lot of times when I watch myself on TV these days, I'm okay with it. You know, I and and I don't obsess about it. I just don't have time to obsess about it too much. 
when did you uh, start to feel okay with your own voice? Well, not that long ago. Yeah, in anything, in stand-up or anything. It, it's, it, it happened somewhere in the last few years, you know, when I, when I got away from politics. And, and I think that the divorce and the work I was doing on stage when that happened, uh, you know, that my third album was sort of some sort of weird turning point where I had to put down the armor and I had to sort of put down the anger uh, and address it in a deeper way and not think I was righteously angry, but, you know, really address the idea that I might you know, just be frightened and angry. So I think once that, you know, once I was humbled like that, you know, once you, you sort of get your heart broken and, and you fight for your life and your livelihood and things get very scary and you lose all your money and your careers in the crapper, you know, then you, you know, you're staring the, the beast in the face, you know, and that is, you know, what are you going to do? You know, really, what are you going to do? And you don't know the answer to that, but some part of you needs to survive. And, and that feeling of being humbled like that changes your tone. Mm. And I think that that was, I needed that. Uh, I didn't want it. It was not a good thing, but I think it really made me grow up because I think a lot of entitlement and self-pity is really about, you know, sort of like, why won't somebody be my parents? You know, how come no one's taking care of me? I thought everything was going to be fine. They said everything was going to be fine. And, and also you don't have control over just about anything. The terror you have to go through in, in realizing that. Mm. That when you try to control things, you're, it's, it's futile and it's going to make you a fool out of you. And, and more so than not, an angry fool. Once that relaxes and, and you get that humility from, from realizing that, you kind of end up you know, in your own skin. You, know? you kind of end up, well, that's who I am. So now I just have to um, keep generating stuff and, and keep you know, trying to figure out my, what I do with this voice. It's scary because, you know, I, on some level, I'd rather just stop everything, you know, but I, I can't. I, I always have a certain amount of panic about work uh, until I get into it. There's always that. It's it's sort of like, like you know, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because then I have to do this and I got to do that. And then what if I don't do this? And once you get through that wall of doubt and you're in the work, it's great. You know, you're like, oh, this is why I do this. But sometimes that wall of doubt or that fear you won't get through it. I mean, that is the hardest thing is, is walking through what is really just fear. I mean, you can frame it however you want, you know, like, you know, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really need to do that because it's, you know, it's, it's why, what's the point of it and blah, 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 blah. But usually all that shit, you know, is just sort of like, it's just a deterrent to you taking action. It's just fear. So getting through that is the biggest fucking challenge. You, once you've found your voice or whatever it is. Mm. So to to sum it up a little bit, so so you just started doing the podcast, yeah. Uh, you didn't have any goals or no. I knew that I liked radio, and I knew that it was a good medium for me. And we contacted the people that at iTunes, and and I talked to some people that did them, and and we just said all we knew at the beginning was that we were going to do two a week. It would be on Monday and Thursday, and it would be without fail, and that was it. That was all we really knew. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to have people in the room with me. I didn't know what I was going to do with guests or how that would evolve. I, I didn't know. I, I knew I didn't want to talk about politics anymore unless it affected me directly. But that was really it. 
And then we just sort of let it evolve from there. Mm. But the commitment to creating a show that sounded well, nice, you know, good mics, some a little bit of music, some good production values, which doesn't take much in this medium. We knew that we wanted that. And we knew that we were going to do it twice a week. But that was really it. And that I would be talking either to uh, one person or two people, to a guest. And then it evolved. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, what we expected from it, I, I was hoping I could get maybe half of the people that used to li listen to me on radio, which would have been a couple thousand people. I had no idea. And and my expectations were, were not, it wasn't that they were low. I just, you know, I didn't know. And I don't, I don't think about it that much. I get hung up with the iTunes ranking yeah. only because it's out. It's there's a picture there, and you know I can see it. But out of all the things to judge the success of the show on, that's the most uh, inconsistent because it's based on an algorithm, and I don't even know what it is. You know, I I can ask my partner how many people listen to the show, and and I would know exactly. But I don't even do that that much anymore. I'm thrilled that it's so big, but I think that the fact that I detach from that as a good thing. I never think about how many people are listening when I talk to somebody. Do you still consider yourself a comic doing a podcast rather than a radio person doing I don't know, comedy? you know, I uh you know the podcast seems to have a little more integrity than a radio show because of the fact that it's all on me. We make all the choices. So the medium itself is I think is still kind of coming into its own yeah. uh, in that I, I think that's what's really amazing about a podcast. It's an, it's an audio experience that is completely within the creative control of the creators. There's nothing really like that. So the fact that that's getting recognized and that people are listening to it. Yeah, I'm a comic, but I'm a, but I'm also a host. I'm a conversationalist. I'm an interviewer. You know, I'm a monologist. I'm a, um, a think out loud kind of guy. Uh, but I still see myself as a stand up comic, but certainly this thing is, is made me into something else. Yeah. And it really isn't anything that I anticipated. I, I don't, I didn't study interviewing. I don't, I don't know, uh, what's right and what's wrong in terms of how I do it. You know, it was not, it's more about the conversation with me, but I'm happy to evolve that way. But I still see myself as I'm a podcaster, but I'm, you know, I'm a stand up comic. That's my occupation. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, the European sort of perspective, not being on your radar stand-up-wise, how has it affected your comedy like? It's affected it in a lot of ways. It's affected it in the way that when I talk on the mic, I, I'm usually pretty free form. I don't script anything. And I think out loud. So a lot of the monologues that I do on the show is sort of one-time kind of fashion. Some of them resonate with me, and I, and I build them out into material. And also people who listen to me have gotten to know me in a very unique and intimate way. And a lot of them will come out to shows now. So I sell more tickets and I generate material, you know, with the podcast. You must be working a hell of a lot more. Yes, I am. I'm working more than I ever have in my life. I've never sold tickets in my life in any real way uh, before the podcast. And now, you know, I can make pretty good money doing comedy clubs, uh, which I never really did. In my past, I mean, I did them, but never consistently because I never had a draw, and you can only run through a couple of a town a couple times, and I never really understood the politics of of club comedy, and I, I was fairly naive and very selfish. But now, like you know, people want to come see me, and I appreciate it. And I, my concern is that they know me too well. 
Yeah, that must be a problem that you can't use the material that you sort of podcast, right? No, I do because I I have to. I mean, I can't. We can't operate at the pace that you know computers can deliver things. Yeah, there are things that I talk about on the podcast in a raw way, and then you know, talking to you or talking just into this mic is very different than than crafting something for the stage that you know has beats and has jokes. So I, I find that the raw goods are here. But if I commit to it, you know, then I, I craft it into something else. And and the experience for somebody, even somebody who may be familiar with the story, uh, to be in an audience and to see it, you know, done as a bit is different than me just talking through it. This is uh, on your comedy, but how much do you prepare? Because I've always got the picture that you sort of like to improvise. No, I do. Uh, but, you know, I usually have a few. You know, I'm, I'm usually kind of tooling around or I'm usually kind of hanging my show around a good 40 minutes of shit, you know, that, you know, I've got hours of stuff, but you know, at any given time I, I lock into a good 40 minutes of stuff that, you know, I'm repeating and, and trying to build and, and, and I rely on, but in between those things, you know, most of my stuff is created, you know, in, in, on stage in the moment. And, and a lot of stuff gets lost like that I, because I don't write as much as I don't write enough of it down, but I sort of lock into the ones that I, I, uh, I'm excited about doing. I've become a little more responsible about that, but I do like to improvise within, you know, within the context of, of, of good, you know, solid, you know, 40 to 45 out of an hour and 15 that I, I know I want to do. And there's a lot of stuff that's half done that I, you know, I sort of move into and, and see. Like, I haven't done stand-up in a, in a few weeks now because I was on vacation. And that gets a little weird because, you know, you got to stay in shape. It's like being, you know, physically fit. You mm. know, if you don't go to the gym, you, you get a little soft. <laughs> With a name like yours, you must be able to do stand-up every night if you wanted to. Yeah, at some places, you know, still it's not, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not a, a comedy star here. I'm I'm better known than I was. And, yeah, I can get on stage tonight if I want. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But you don't? No, no, I do. I mean, usually I've been on the road so much, you know, I'm usually out, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, then I'll do smaller shows around town. I'll do one on Monday. Sometimes I'll put in at the comedy store on the weekend. But those are really, they're, they're usually short sets, you know, and they, and really they just function as a gym. You know, I, I tend to work new material on the road when I'm stretching out in an hour, hour and 15 minute set, hour and a half set, you know, to do these club spots, in, you know, unless you're, you know, Dave Chappelle or, or a bonafide international superstar or national superstar, you know, you're not going to do more than 15, 20 minutes without being an asshole. Mm. So that's really just to stay engaged. But the real work goes on out there for the most part. A reflection from yesterday on uh, the UCB theater was that it seems to be sort of a trend now to comment on the form among comics. Do, yeah. you, do you understand what I'm yeah. getting at? That mm -hmm. they're doing a joke and then they say, well, th that was a dick joke, but it's funny because it's uh, a dick joke with a twist, uh, right. etc. Have you noticed that? Yeah, the, well? it's sort of a, a kind of nerd alt comedy yeah, trope. Okay. The sort of meta narrator yeah. of jokes, uh, yeah, it's sort of the uh, informed narration of insecurity, like you know, it's a disclaimer that in and of itself uh, is supposed to be funny. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it something that you feel like practicing? No, I, I mean, I, I've done it, but it's not part of my style. No. No. You know, I, I'm not sure where, you, you know, you see Letterman do it. You see uh, Conan do it. They're, they're, it's a sort of uh, weird, um, like, you know, like, that, that didn't go well at all. Yep. You know, and you get the laugh on that. Letterman was pretty great at that. I, I, I but the the sort of like framing it in a more in intellectual format is it's 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 getting the laugh on the failure mm. or undermining the success of a joke that you think is beneath you. Yeah, with another joke, exploring the the joke that you just did that you don't really feel good about. Uh, how rich are you? Are you doing uh, lots of money on on the podcast? I don't know if it's lots of money, you, you know, for a while there, I wasn't making any money. And, uh, you know, between, you know, over the, over the last couple of years, we figured out a few ways to make money because it's not, it's tricky because you don't want to, you need to, it needs to be free to keep growing your audience. And, and, you know, I want people to, to have it for free. So, you know, they're all free still for six months, but we figured out a way to, uh, to generate some income through ad dollars and, and through, uh, apps and through some donations and some merch you know so it's sort of grown and it is making money but i wouldn't say i'm rich no you know i mean you know i still live in this two-bedroom house i drive a toyota camry uh, i'm not a big spender uh just by nature of uh, my fear and uh and knowing what show business is like I, i tend to to save money i wouldn't say i'm rich but between you know what's going on with the podcast and what's going on with uh my live work uh i'm, I'm definitely earning a living and, yeah. it's, and it's an honest living which one is uh, making the most money I, i probably still make a little more money doing stand-up you know but i also got a book deal so i got a chunk of that money so it, it's been a good year but like i said you know this is this is not a network television show i still don't have health coverage no uh for you know because i haven't made enough money on television uh in the last year or two and the and the book money was good but you know in this in this racket it, it's it's really year to year it, and and because this is all this is our business you know i'm not working for a network and i'm not being paid ridiculous amounts of money I, i'm i'm a small business owner right now yeah but you did a, a pilot this year or last year yeah that was yeah. i didn't make any money for that okay but but is it going to be made i hope so uh you, you, a lot of people didn't really want it uh but it's still a little bit in play uh at one network and um you know i'd like the opportunity to do that mm. i don't know if that's going to happen can you tell me something about it It was based on my life. Uh, you know, we shot a, a, a small pilot uh, with no money. Was working with a production company and with a studio, uh, Fox Studios, and uh, they funded a, a presentation. It wasn't really a pilot, but it, we were able to shoot something that was fairly high quality, and we had a lot of footage. So, you know, we did get about twenty minutes or so out of it. We just showed it to some pl places. It's about you know me and uh, my relationship and the fact that I you know interview celebrities in my garage. It was a single camera. Based on my life, basically. Okay. Still fiction. Well, it's yeah, okay, yeah. It's definitely yeah. It's a scripted show. Scripted, yeah. yeah, it's not a documentary show, and a little exaggerated, but it you know it was good. It was funny. It, I think it could have been a good show. It may still be a good show. I'd also like to try to create a, a chat show that would honor whatever happens here in this garage, and whatever happens in my conversations. I don't know if that's possible. I, I tend to really like the audio medium yeah because of the intimacy of it and the relationship that that you have with a listener it's very personal but i i'd like to try to figure that out that would be a, uh the interesting project would mm. be to 
to try to create a candid talk show that wasn't propelled by by laughs per minute and by a certain weird you know frequency of heightened hilarity that is still engaging and funny and entertaining mm-hmm. I, I think that you know what has been sort of accepted as entertainment or expected as entertainment by the people that make entertainment uh, is a little narrow. I, I think that there are certain shows that have proven that lately. You know, certainly Louis show and some other things that are going on. Uh, it has shown that because of the fragmentation of, of television and the, there's less of a impetus put on millions and millions of people of liking the same thing. Mm. That there might be an opportunity to create a, a world for yourself that, um, that's still successful and, and, and honors your own voice. I, I don't know what, you know, that's, that would be the next thing I would work on mm. or try to do. How does it work with your uh, booking guests to the show? It's all pretty much, um, you know, friend of a friend, you know, just trying to reach out to certain people. Yeah. Uh, it's all done by me and my assistant. Are there people on that list that you haven't got yet that you want to that you would like to have on yeah no they're definitely there's always a, a pretty long list of people you know I, i albert brooks bob newhart shelly berman tom waits i'd like to have uh i'd love to talk to lauren michaels yeah i'd like to talk to uh will farrell steve carell there's a lot of people but there's some good ones coming up yeah, okay yeah yeah there doesn't seem to be a shortage of people no not that, yet that must be uh, nice i mean u.s is Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. You know, I thought I'd run out of comics, but I I really haven't. Do you have, like, a a podcast community? Do you feel part of a community? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the great things about it, you know. I mean, I I had to reach out to Jesse Thorne, who hosts uh, the Bullseye podcast, and, you know, he he came over here and told me what mics to do, and he showed me how to work the stuff. Uh, We all do each other's shows. You know, I feel very, you know, I definitely feel there's a community. Uh... Doug Benson, Hardwick, Rogan, Jimmy Pardo, Jimmy Dore, Kevin Smith. You know, these are guys I, I deal with. I mean, I, I, we talk to each other. Yeah. And uh, we're all pretty generous with each other. Uh, Greg Fitzsimmons. You know, if somebody needs you know, a plug or, you know, to run something on a show or they want to be a guest or they want me to come on their show, you know, we, we're pretty good with that. I'm surprised that more people, certain people don't ask me on their shows. Yeah, okay. Uh, Such as? Well, Joe Rogan's never asked me on his show. You know, I had to sort of twist Pete Holmes's arm to, you know, to have him ask me to be on his show. I think, but Rogan, I don't know what his problem is in terms of putting me on his show. But, you know, Pete, I just think was nervous. A lot of people assume that I won't do their show. Yeah, okay. and, and they might be right. Yeah. But it, it didn't turn out. All it took for you was five cans of snooze and you were here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. How, how would your, I mean, if you're interviewing someone... Like Louis C.K., do you have do you have a script for it? No, I mean, like I just maybe write down five or six uh, bullet points. You yeah. know, I, my scripts generally look um, um, sort of cluttered, you know, and I, I tend to, uh, you know, I'll make notes, you know, during interviews. And it doesn't look like I... Hold on. Yeah. I mean, like I, 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 I tend to, you know, to do my research very shortly before, but with Louis, I had a long history. Yeah. And there were certain, like, the way I framed that interview was really to, to go through the the time I spent with him, you know, and my memories of things that we did together, and then sort of, you know, frame his, you know, my, you know, the parts of his growth that I remember, mm-hmm. you know, moments and junctures in our in our own past. But usually, I'm pretty scattered about it. 
but you know, I try to write down things that I know I should get to, and, and sometimes I don't even get to those. If you have a guest coming here this uh, tomorrow, how long before would you start preparing? Depends. I mean, you, you, you know, if I'm very unfamiliar with them, I, I generally am very. I don't know if it's irresponsible or scattered about it, but you know, many times, although I'll know them and I'll know their work, I won't know what they're up to or their full resume, or um, sometimes I won't even have seen their comedy, which is odd. I'll just get a lot, I'll just find a place to start. Mm. You know, usually I'm interested, so and hopefully they'll they'll start talking and, and we'll see where it goes, but. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I, my process is very scattered. I just make a big mess of a piece of paper with a bunch of things on it, mm. and I just try to follow follow what's going on when I'm talking to them and, yeah. and let it move. Like I, uh, Russell Brand is going out on tomorrow, and yeah. I didn't know much about him. I look forward to that. How was he? Good. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot. Yeah. And he's bright, and uh, he really feeds on you know input. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, he likes to run with things. Yeah. So the biggest trick about someone like, uh, talking to somebody like that is to keep them in conversation and not, you know, going off. You know, to bring them in yeah. like, every once in a while, to, to let them go and then go, okay, come come back. Yeah. That's, yeah. But I think it was good. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good time with it. Look forward to it. Well, it was good talking to you, Christopher. Yeah, thank you. Can you I good? take... Yeah, thank you. you Want to stop it? Yeah, sure. Alltså rent ljudmässigt är det ju en fröjd att lyssna på det här. Jag hade ju med mig en tafflig liksom sån hårdisk inspelare. Men Mark Maron lät mig ju spela in i hans legendariska studio. Jag satt på samma stol som alla de här stora komikerna som han har träffat. Ja, det gjorde jag ju faktiskt. Och det kändes jäkligt häftigt. På sätt och vis så skulle jag önska att jag fick göra den här intervjun nu istället när jag har liksom när jag vet vad det f- hur det är att ha en podcast. Han ser näst störst i USA och min är ganska ofta näst störst i Sverige. Det är väldigt härligt. Ja, jag är så glad att ni finns och att ni hör av er. Och är det någonting ni undrar över med den här intervjun eller med någonting annat så skriv ett mejl vet jag. Jag svarar nog på allt varvet att triumf.se. Har ni den här förkylningen jag pratade om i förra avsnittet, den verkar inte bli bättre. Jag lägger på nu så att säga... Men i nästa vecka så kommer nog Peter Magnusson, tror jag. Hoppas det. Vi hörs då.